Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, it's ProMod star Lyle Barnett and Austin Brock of Top Fuel fame. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. Two drivers giving it their all here in 2022 to make an impact on the championship standings. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Cruz Pedragon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Lowens here with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Coming off a great weekend in Virginia. It wasn't so great weather-wise Friday and Saturday, but boy, Sunday came around, the fans came out, and we had a really, really fantastic race day out there uh, in Virginia. Had a great race day as well on FS1. If you've caught the broadcast, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, we had pedaling and upsets and all kinds of crazy stuff happened right right off the top and we had a great lead-in with a nascar race from kansas so we had a monster audience and really all kind of came together just the way you want it to on one of our race days and the virginia nationals uh really showed us a few things and and really set the tone i think for what is going to be an interesting stretch in june we have a little bit of time off here a couple weeks off before we go to epic new hampshire and then only one weekend off then we go to bristol and norwalk and then it's a couple of weeks off the western swing and things really do crank up at that point when we run through the western swing and july and august are busy months with races leading up to the u.s nationals and finally into the countdown so when we talk about the Virginia Nationals, what, do we, what are the big takeaways? Uh, for me, the big takeaway in Pro Stock Motorcycle is that Matt Smith is a savage. Uh, what he pulled off in that final round against a competitor in Steve Johnson, who was half a tenth better than him, um, was uh, nothing short of um, nothing short of you know drag racer kind of debauchery or de- de- just deviousness 101. Let's call it that. Is he knew he was coming in with a performance disadvantage, threw the bike in, double balled on Steve, and then and then left on him and left on him by a significant margin, taking the victory on a hole shot, the only hole shot we had over the course of the whole day, and it was a big one. Uh, it was about as big a hole shot if we had added up the normal kind of differential of hole shots over the course of a normal race. We might not get to the size of the one we got there. It was the only way Matt Smith figured he could win. And judging by the numbers, the two bikes laid down, it was the only way he could win uh, because Steve Johnson's bike was much quicker in the final, but, but Matt had such a starting line advantage that Steve could not catch him. We look at the funny car category. We look at Matt Hagen. We look at Robert Height. You know, Height's car had been a little bit quiet over the last couple of races. They've been going rounds, but it really hadn't been a, the scary car it was to start the year. Uh, it does appear that though that they have returned to that form, and to see Robert and Matt slugging it out there in that final, uh, which of course went to Robert Height, was pretty awesome. I think it's always neat in funny car when we have strength on strength in finals and. We've had some interesting funny car finals this year, of course. Blake Alexander uh, and Matt Hagen, of course, in one of them. Bobby Bodie and Matt Hagen in the other. Uh, But this was not a Cinderella story in the making. This was uh, two of the best funny car drivers in the modern era of drag racing, uh, throwing everything they had at each other with their, their crew chiefs doing the same as well. So big ups there. And then, of course, we talk about the final round of Top Fuel, and it's pretty Force. And it's pretty Force with authority. I mean, it's pretty Force other than the first round on Sunday where they had to buy and smoke the tires. There was nothing uh, nothing other than almost flawlessness out of the Flavor Pack Top Fuel team with David Grubnick calling the shots and, and Brittany just driving that car uh, in a very strong manner. We've said it before. It's worth saying again. We've all talked about it over the last couple of seasons that – if and when 
the moment occurs that both the car and driver, meaning the crew chiefs tune up and the driver's ability kind of meet in unison, uh, this team will be very, very difficult to defeat. And they have now won three of the first seven races uh, after a season of one victory the year before. They are in a different place. She is certainly in a different place with what she's doing behind the wheel, and she is rising to meet each challenge as it comes to her. Uh, She seems more calm. She seems more steady in many ways, and she certainly seems uh, a wholly more intimidating threat on race day than that team was in 2021. As good as that team was, the, what, 11 or 12 number one qualifiers last year, the constant just battering ram they were in qualifying, it just didn't translate into Sunday. We talked about them, you know, jokingly kind of hitting a lot of batting practice home runs. They were they were doing it when the pressure was low and when the um, you know when the when the high heat of the fastball wasn't necessarily coming in. And now they're getting everybody's best punch, and they continue to win, continue to go rounds, and continue to look very strong. In fact, John Force Racing had a banner. I mean, a banner race day on Sunday. If you think about it, not only did they sweep top fuel and nitro funny car uh, they had the opportunity to have all four of their cars in final rounds robert and john were on opposite sides of the funny car ladder in the semifinals Brittany and austin proc were on opposite sides of the top fuel ladder in the semifinals in the fashion that uh, the team wants they managed to get two of them in there and they managed to win both so it was great. Um, you know, we, when we leave Virginia, I look at a, a Steve Torrance team that is resurgent, you know, a, a, a final round finish. You know, they've never gone anywhere. It's not like they've fallen off the table. It's not like they've disappeared anywhere. We just haven't seen a final round win light yet. But they are like a good, really good, like contact hitter in baseball, to use another baseball analogy. They are right now they're hitting a lot of doubles and triples. They may not be hitting home runs, but they're getting on base. They're hitting doubles and triples, and they are much in the championship conversation, albeit in a different way than they normally are. But they are still one of the premier teams in this sport, and anybody that thinks otherwise I think is is out to lunch. I don't think they've lost or missed anything. I just feel as though their uh, their best days of this season may be ahead of them, and they've not had a lot of bad days to hang their head about. So it's going to be fun to watch Steve Torrance and that team when we get up to Epping, New Hampshire in a couple of weeks as well. Going to be a lot of great conversations to be had between these two races. The reason I wanted to speak to Lyle Barnett today and Austin Proc is there are two drivers that, uh, well, they have not won on the season yet. They have all done the right. They've both done the right things and continue to bring a level of intensity, a level of skill, and, and a level of acumen in their respective categories. Lyle in the Fuel Tech Pro Modified category and Austin Proc, of course, in Top Fuel that make them very fun to watch. Uh, they're kind of all eyes on me type guys, meaning that they like the spotlight, they like the pressure, they like to deliver under that spotlight and pressure, and, and really those are the topics I want to talk to them about today. Lyle's had a couple of near misses. He made that final quartet of pro modifieds in Charlotte. Um, it was at that point that everything went wrong. We're going to talk about that uh, final round and how much of a calamity it was, and he gives, uh, when I say very honest opinions, I mean very honest opinions on how he feels, which is why Lyle is such a great guy to talk to because you're going to get honesty uh you're going to get the answers that uh are not designed to make people um you know feel warm and fuzzy you're going to get the answers that are real and 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 very raw and that's why i love talking to the guy and for austin proc we're going to talk about how this team's maturing how it continues to mature and really what the what the kind of progress has been for this car to do what it did last weekend had a couple of early round exits between their between their semifinal finish in Virginia and the start of the season and the final round runner-up finish they had in Pomona. Um, and I want to talk about kind of what's happened between those two points and, and what we can expect to see going ahead. 
Uh, obviously, the driver is a very solid part of both of these equations. Both of these guys are, you know, a premier levers in their respective classes. Lyle is a is a stone cold killer on the starting line in Austin since he first set his uh, took us into a top fuel car. Has been a 40, 50 reaction time average guy, uh, season in and season out, and race in and race out. Be more accurate to say that. So. Um, a lot of great stuff to talk about with these two drivers, their intensity, their competition level, and certainly their success. So without any further ado, we're going to dip into our interviews in this episode of The Insider. We're going to start first with Lyle Barnett. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So for our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, catching up with a guy who sits right now, number four in the points of the Fuel Tech NHRA Pro Mod Series presented by D-Wagon, but it's a strong fourth. His name's Lyle Barnett. Lyle, how you doing, man? Good, Brian, man. How are you? I'm doing well. And, you know, it's been a pretty interesting couple of weeks in the world of uh, Pro Mod drag racing around the NHRA. So I wanted to I wanted to catch up with you because you've kind of been in the thick of all of it <laughs> in one way or the other. But, yeah. um, you know, the story really to me has to start. We got to we got to go back to Charlotte and, and not just the final, but really the course of the weekend, because, you know, this car is good, man. This this turbocharged Camaro you're in is a good car. It is, you know, and it's something that we brought out really just in desperation last year towards the end of the year when the pro charger combination just didn't go our way. And, um, you know, and I was kind of down, you've known me a long time and yeah. from where I said, you've known me for a long yeah, time. Absolutely. Um, and you know, and losing is not really something that I particularly like. <laughs> um, you know, so we brought the turbo car out really just trying to change the course, man, just see if we could stir up some magic or whatever. And uh, we go to Dallas and win, um, struggled a little bit in Bristol. We go to Vegas and close out the year uh, and win again. And by that time, I didn't give, you know, a rat's ass about being an approach arch car anymore. Yeah. Turbo, turbo power is what I love. Um, it's primarily what I drive. So we decided to carry that into 2022. Um, we didn't run particularly fast. You know, I wouldn't say that we just went and burnt the scoreboards down by any means, but we just raced well. Well, yeah, that's, and and that's that was one of the points I wanted to make, and that, and that trend continued straight into this year. I mean, that's the thing that I, I find most impressive about, about where you're at right now and, and where you finished in 21. It was not, like you said, it wasn't like there was some sort of hidden advantage in what you guys were doing, but, but man, it, the car d- repeats and you certainly repeat. And I think that's one of the biggest keys is the thing goes down the racetrack. Yeah. And that's important with the changing, the changing track conditions, um, you know, with racing pro mod in the, in the NHRA. Um, and not, not that they do anything wrong, but a, a round of fuel um, can really change the racetrack depending on how many of them go up and down the racetrack, how much clutch dust is on the racetrack. Do they prep it? Do they drag it? Do they spray it? Do they sweep it? You know, there's so many things that can change between rounds for us, you know, and, and that's something that Justin Elks, my crew chief is, is very good at reading and, and he and I work well together. He kind of asked me what I, what he want, you know, what I think he should do and, and, and vice versa, you know, and we just work well together and I can depend on him, um, you know, and he can depend on me to go up there and be, you know, 30 or better. And, and most of the time until here recently, at least, that was good to give us, you know, a hundredth or two at least on the start line. You know, now we've seen a little bit of change uh, even between Charlotte and Virginia. You know, like if you look at the if you look at the sheet for Q two and you know and average the reaction times, everybody was pretty stout. You know, and I don't I don't know that 
that that is because of me, you know, but, but I know that you can no longer go up there and just have a fast hot rod. Like you got to be able to drive, you know, and it's, it's as competitive, I think, as it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, and do you, you know, is it even a consideration for you guys that basically, at least for the last, let's call it five or six races starting last year into this year that you've been the only turbo car showing up? Is that even a, is that even anything that enters your mind? No. Um, I kind of thought that, uh, us having some success and running well would bring maybe a couple that have been sidelined um, for a little while. But <clears throat> honestly, I think the Pro Charger craze hit so hard. Oh, it did. That that anybody that had a competitive turbo car just switched. You know, and I just I don't I really don't think there are any left. Um, you know, even Carl Stevens. You know, those guys ran turbo yeah. stuff forever. Even they have a Pro Charge car now. You know, and, and I really think that we're like the Lone Ranger. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I just don't think that, and I, I, I really, with the introduction of the screw blower, um, into the class, I don't think that you'll see anybody that switches from pro charger. I don't think is going to come back to turbo. I think they're going to go screw blower. Yeah. I agree. You know, so I think for as long as we continue to run the turbos, I think there will be one. And I think if we ever decide to go a different direction, I think it'll die. You know, I think that, I think we're it. Yeah, and and you know if we move to the final round in Charlotte, you know one of the things that I, I you know one of the things that puts you at a disadvantage in that situation, and and for those of you that did not see this, I, I surely hope that you have watched the YouTube video or you're going to watch the show on FS2 when it comes out. But the the final round of Pro Mod in Charlotte featured four different power adders. You had Chris Thorne, Ricky Smith, you had Stan Shelton with a screw blower, and of course Lyle was over in, in lane four in the turbo car, and. All kinds of wacky stuff happened on the starting line, and you, unfortunately, with that turbo combination, were completely screwed, right? Because you had no option yeah. other than to hold the thing on the on the brake and just wait for something to happen. Yeah, you know, and throughout the course of the weekend, I think you saw where me being in the turbo combination was an advantage. Because when you're, you know, the I'm yes. and I'm not scared to say it. I'm one of those drivers that strongly dislikes four wide drag racing. I just don't yeah. like it, you know, and. And there's many reasons for that. You know, I've had some fans say, man, don't ruin it for us. You know, we, we really enjoy it. And I think that those of you as fans that really enjoy it are few and far between. Um, but, you know, for, for me, when, when I, I'm always the last to go in, um, and at the four wide, when I'm the last to go in, most of them have been in for three, four seconds, and yep. they just don't know when I'm coming in. You know, <laughs> right. when I do turn the bottom bulb on, I'm ready to rip. If the tree dropped immediately or three or four seconds later, I'm ready to go when I get in. Those guys have to, uh, surely they've already got the trans brake button down, but then they have to deck it, you know, and then yeah. and wait for the tree. So, but in the final round, um, it you you can see why having the turbo combination in that particularly in that particular situation is a complete disadvantage. Um, you know, we had some and. and Stan Shelton felt so bad, you know, he's apologized several times. And I was like, dude, I said, Stan, that is four wide drag. That final round is four wide drag racing in just a few seconds. That is everything yeah. that is wrong with four <laughs> wide drag racing. You know, it made the no, final round for pro, yeah. for pro modified completely anticlimactic, right? Yeah. Like what should have been a pretty dadgum good drag race turned into a complete cluster you know what, you know, and nobody knew what had happened. I thought I had won. I mean, I'm in the shutdown fist bumping my radio was wasn't really working very well and i thought i could hear them yelling like i'm got the car shut off they stopped me on the racetrack i'm pumped up and then the guy opens the door he's like wow you didn't win you know what you want to talk about just crushing my dreams you know because my wind light was on and 
But oh. both of our, but yeah. my wind light and Chris Thorne's wind light was on. But with, when you win, yep. your wind light flashes, right? Oh, you know, Jesus. so yeah, it just damn it, man. You know, just but you know, Stan got confused on which light was his, um, and vice versa. Vice versa. So did Ricky. You yes. know, Ricky was looking at Stan's. Stan was looking at Ricky's, and they both left early. At that particular moment, auto start no longer works. So it's up to the starter to activate the tree. I think there was even some confusion there, which held us three or four seconds longer. Um, you know, and Chris Thorne and I both uh, never leave with a digit oh, hell no. above zero yeah. as our first. Yeah. You know, I was 150. And you Chris were half, and you were, and, and you were better. You were 150 and better than him by half. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and the car, you know, yeah. my car had some other issues. Um, I only went five ninety nine, you know, and I lost by three hundreds. And I, obviously, I beat myself up there because during that final, I had looked to my left to see if the starter was going to walk out and tell Chris and I to stop because there was something going on. Yeah. When I saw nobody moving, I went back to the tree, and as soon as my eyes hit the tree, the tree dropped, and I just wasn't ready. Yeah. You know. And it's just it sucks, you know. It's but unfortunately, that's part of four wide drag racing. And uh, and I just had to pick up, and move on. You know, it just is what it is. When uh, when we saw the shot of all all four cars around the corner, I I was sitting up there in the booth, and I was thinking to myself, if I'm Stan Sheldon, I'm probably not rushing to get out of my car right now. Right. And then I'm thinking, man, if Ricky Smith's twenty years younger, I think him and Lyle are probably going to be probably going to be dodging jabs and right and left hooks. But <laughs> I, I uh, and, and listen, you guys both to some degree cut from the same fiery cloth. But I think he has he has mellowed a little with age because I know he was pissed off. I know you were worked up, but uh, it did not come to fisticuffs no no you know and i was really i mean i'll take a runner-up finish any day right you know that that's, that's good for the points um with uh with the recent uh abundance of funding that has came into the pro mod category it pays pretty good to finish you know runner-up yeah. uh, obviously i always want to win but yep. um you know there was just there were some things that went on down there that went on down at the top end i just didn't agree with there were a lot of people down there celebrating and the four wide final in pro mod was a bit of a stink and there was a bit of a stink made down there and i just didn't approve of it and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> sounds good to me i mean and listen like we always talk about intense guy intense competitor and, and that's and that is what it is and, and that's another log you can throw on the fire for some fuel if you ever need it um that's right. you know we we talk about the starting line we move on to the next race here which of course just last weekend in virginia which you know obviously you red light yourself out of competition. This is something that happens. But, you know, racing Stevie, it's one of those matchups in our sport, and it goes across categories. It's like when you two guys get together, you know something good's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, we had destroyed a transmission in Q2. Um, I was on a pretty good run. We're going to back up to Q1. If you've ever raced at Virginia or maybe you were watching NHRA Live and they talked about in the afternoons they were pausing the racing because the sun shining down the racetrack is blinding there. And um, we made a run uh, right around that time. It was just above the treetops, um, right off of the left lane. And uh, when I let go of the button and it made it through the shake zone and I start looking for cones, the entire racetrack to me was just a white reflection oh god um i lost the combs when they did finally come to me i thought which ended ended up being the thousand foot mile an hour and 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 et block 
I threw the chute as I approached the mile an hour cone. When the nose of the car dipped over, I then saw the quarter mile, another 200 feet out in front of me, and realized I had thrown the chute early. Now, we still made a pretty respectable run going 579, uh, but at only 235. So uh, I was bummed that we didn't get a good run in there, but that was good enough to put us mid-pack. Q2, we come up. Um, the car leaves the starting line great on another mid-570 run, and it destroys the transmission. Uh, so we put a new transmission in it, roll up for Q3, and the dew had set in, and they canceled Q3. So not only, you know, I'm racing Stevie, who is a great friend of mine, but like you said, when it comes time to stuff them in the beams, there's nobody I want to crush more than Stevie Fast Jackson, you know, and I was jacked up. Um, and if you go up there and, and you're not calm, cool, and collected like I usually am, uh, uh, 007 red light is not out of the norm. So uh, we had a new transmission. It bumped a little bit deeper uh, gotcha. than I usually do. Um, and that was nobody's fault. Justin told me it may bump different. We didn't know whether it was going to bump softer or more aggressive. It was more aggressive. I probably took another three or four inches more than I usually do. Um, and on top of being just amped up, I let go and I was I turned it seven red, you know. And and listen, that the three or four inches is the difference between seven red and like nine green, you know. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. and that's like that's a tough thing to describe to people who are fans of the sport of of especially in that aspect of the sport where it's like when we talk about staging a race car, everyone's like, well, you just turn the two lights on and leave. But damn, it's like it does literally come down to less than half a foot or, or even a quarter of a foot at that point. It, it does, you know, and and when you're talking about, you know, thousandths of a second, you know, um, which I'm, you know, normally I'm 30 or better, you know, and, and when it really matters, I can find myself in the high double O's and the low teens. Um, but you live by the sword and you die by it, you know, and, and unfortunately when you're that close all the time, you're going to find a red light. And for me, that's twice this year. You know, I was, when I went up against Chris Thorne, um, in the second round in Gainesville, he had had the field covered by five or six numbers and I knew I had to go up there and cut it down and I was double O three red, you know, and man, it, I, it, it won me a couple races last year, right? Like yeah. every race I've won so far, I've won on a whole shot, you know, and this year it's lost me too, you know? So, um, it's, it's tip for tat out there, but you've got to be that good. You, if you're, if you're worse than 30, you're going to get beat on a whole shot in this class, you know? And I had, I'd been paying attention um, to everybody's lights. I had looked back over Stevie's um, for the course of the weekend, and I knew I had to be 20, you know, and or better. He was 14, right? You know, oh, yeah. so I couldn't, I couldn't be any worse than, you know, than, than a high 40 in that run if I was going to beat him. Um, and, and I just turned it red, man. It happens, but I don't know. I'm sure the audio was live uh, when I was down there, and I was not a happy camper. Um, Amanda Busey caught some of that, and uh, – and I'm still, like, I, I came into work yesterday, and my crew chief, Justin Elks, asked me, he said, how are you? I said, look, I'm just going to be real with you. It's going to take me a week. Yeah. Well, you know, listen, it'll take me a week to get over it. Listen, and I, we, you and I have had this conversation before, but the number of times, like, I never want to see people get out of the race car after after something like that happens and just kind of set their helmet on the, on, the, on the roof and just lean on the car and smile. I don't want to see two people get out of the race car and run over and throw their arms around each other like they've, they've never seen each other in 10 years after somebody gets their ass kicked. So I got all right. the respect in the world for that attitude. I, I really yeah. do. And, and, and it is what it is. And, and like you said, you, you take it and, and you move forward with it. Um, yeah. You know, overall in the class right now, I feel like, I feel like there's been a, tor- a corner turned in a couple different aspects of NHRA Promo obviously fuel tech coming on was huge d-wagon coming on as a presenting sponsor is huge we get the announcement of the shootout race is going to happen up in Brainerd. that's fantastic my understanding is that there was a pretty 
productive meeting. You can give your opinion on it. Your the meeting that was held in Charlotte, my understanding was was reasonably productive in terms of how these meetings tend to go. Yeah, you know, for for the first time or one of the first time. Now I haven't been here long, but the kind of the the uh, the general consensus is that for the first time the it seems like they're listening to us right you know they're 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 at least digesting what we're saying um they seem to be receptive um and i'm talking about the powers that be in the nhra so you know it it feels like we feel like they're listening and that they want to do what's best for the class they made us feel like the class is of importance to them i think they see some value and entertainment to the fans you know and and I do think that we've got some of the biggest and brightest personalities in 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 all of the classes that are offered. I you agree. know, there's there's great rivalry. Um, there's there's five different power adders with some pretty decent parity. I think I think we're close. You know, I think that there's some some very fine adjustments that need to be made. Um, but we had a productive meeting in Charlotte, and we had another productive meeting uh, in Virginia amongst the racers and the crew chiefs. You know only there were no nhra representatives in attendance but um i think we're moving in the right direction you know we've got the majority of this season funded um and right now it's the richest pro modified sanctioning body that there is there's no other sanctioning body that pays back as well as nhra pro mod it doesn't pay the most to win i think it's pretty even across the board but as far as paying back no no other sanctioning body pays as good as nhra pro mod right now you know prs was the presenting sponsor in charlotte um lat lubricants was the presenting sponsor in uh in virginia and fuel tech and d wagon are the presenting sponsors for the entire year you know and it's it's cool that we've been able to put this together there was this dark cloud surrounding the class in gainesville yeah man that i felt it too we talked about it yeah that you know that the class wasn't funded right you know and and that wasn't true right like there was money that we raised for it wasn't a full purse but there was money there and there is money for almost all of the year we're really close to having every race funded and i think that's great you know and and i think that people need to know that um i think that it may be a bit of the hindrance on why you're not seeing the full 16 car field yet right we've had 15 two races in a row um but i think that's coming um and i think it will even be close when we move out west you know and and it's as healthy as it's ever been and uh and i'm just glad to be a part you know it's it's super competitive um and i'm anxious for more walking it's over a month away (laughs) yeah no i am too and and i think part of it you know i i I honestly think part of the success and and again you know you guys have have put together a good unified front you've you've all put your head down and and i'm glad to hear that 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 these meetings have been successful and you know a lot of it's because there are guys like you that aren't afraid to open their mouth and and that's a big part of this right it's if if everyone just sits there and nods their head nothing gets done and if you start rattling some you know rattling the, the, the the bars on your cell a little bit you know you get the attention of the guards so it's a good thing um yeah. one of the things i understand came up in that meeting was or one of the meetings was the question of about uh at about eighth mile and that was just roundly shot out of the sky yeah you know and i've said it before and i'm not afraid to say it you know we can fire up uh, fs1 if you want to and i'll just we'll shoot a commercial but um nothing about eighth mile drag racing belongs in the nhra you know i've i've made the comparison for for a while now that there's there's triple a there's there's double a and there's single a baseball um but when you step up to the major leagues it's a different deal um and and not taking anything at all away from the pdra i love tyler crossno and the franklins um i think the midwest drag racing series is a great place to go race 
But when you're talking about coming to the NHRA to run pro, pro modified, it's quarter mile, it's 250 miles an hour, and it's you know on the verge of out of control. And there's if I if if that was the move, you know, Lyle to Brian, if if the move yeah. was to take quarter mile NHRA drag racing and cut it to eighth mile, I just wouldn't go. I'll go to PDRA and race with my buddy Tyler and and the Franklins, you know, and and I'll just stick around home. You know, there's if I'm racing HRA Pro Modified because it's quarter mile, because of the speed, um, and because of the stage, and that's the only way I'll race there. Amen. And and it's always been interesting to me, and and not in a negative way. I've always just wondered, like if if these guys if these guys flip the switch and say, okay, let's just do this because we feel like it'll draw more cars. Because I think that's an easy opinion to have. I think there are more people with your opinion than there are the other way, right? I, I don't well, think I don't think it's a magic bullet by any means, and I think it does it does detract from the attraction of the class, and I think it takes away from the, the gravity of the class. Yeah, and, and I would agree, you know. And I think that if we're talking about just solely fixing the car count problem, I don't disagree that it may fix it temporarily, but there's going to be a complete flip. You're not going to see any of your any of your your stars that are there now we're all going to go somewhere else you know like you'll see this influx of drivers because they want to go race for a wally and they've already got their eighth mile setups and it's easy for them just to transition over there but it'll be a complete flips of the script um and i think it's it's a bad a bad bad move all the way around to do that and that's i don't i don't even want to talk about it anymore like no no more eighth mile in hra <laughs> pro modified talk ever you that's and me it. we'll make stickers Over. we'll make stickers and wear them on our shirts to say that because i agree with you i think it uh i think it is it does it places these cars and, and it places all the competitors like you in the class on on a different level and again yeah. to clarify like what you just said i'll say it because people take everything out of context this does nothing to take away with how difficult it is to win at the pdra to win championships no. there guys no. like jim halsey are over there doing their deal and it's amazing to watch what they're doing and so it's just it's it's a different style of drag racing and and i think it is in, in, incumbent on NHRA to fix what we have and not yes. not try to change it into something that it shouldn't be so that's yep. it man the one last question for you obviously we talked about norwalk being about a month away the beer money uh no small tire no prep mustang that you have been just conquering that uh universe with where's the next place that thing's showing up well, um, it's kind of one of those that if the schedule fits, I just I stuff it in my trailer. You know, the the, the beer money, my, my entire program is is just like you imagine, you know, your your drunk uncle back in the day. He opens both ends of the trailer. Everything is thrown in um, like a hammock. You know, you just kind of toss it all in. You shut the doors before the seams bust and you haul ass to the racetrack. And that's just kind of the way that I race beer money. My trailer is a complete train wreck. Um, everything gets thrown in at the last minute and we and we bust down the road um there is some without giving too much away there is some no prep kings um action coming for beer money um hopefully some more consistent across the board oh, um but, nice. but i've got some uh i've got some local stuff i'm gonna hit uh here soon but my wife is uh a week and a half away from her due date with our first child um so we are uh, bringing a uh, new life into the world and uh, my extracurricular drag racing, as I call it, will slow down for just a minute while we navigate becoming parents and, and, and doing that deal. So um, may not see me much in anything between uh, now and Norwalk, but uh, if, if if the schedule fits, I'm going to try to get some in there. Absolutely, man. Best time of your life. It's uh, it's fantastic yep. news. Glad everything is coming to a uh, to a happy end there. And and one thing I did want to mention before we jump off, we talked about the uh, the, the the shootout in Brainerd that's coming up. And um, you know, again, you you teased your no prep deal, and and I can tease this a little bit that there will be some 
some high-profile special programming coming to cover that shootout up there in Brainerd. Yes. So stand by. It's going to yeah, be fantastic. That's, that's going to be a big one, you know, and yes. uh, and, and a shout-out to uh, to Doug Winters um, and a fellow competitor, obviously, in NHRA Pro Mod and the D-Wagon crowd for for stepping up and, and doing something exciting for the class. You know, with, without racers like Doug, um, Eric Dillard of ProLine, um, Justin Elks, Mike Janice and Janice Jr., um, you know, there's there's been a lot of behind the scenes. Phil Schuler, there's been a lot of behind the scenes work that that doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and I just want to you know take a second and thank those guys because without them, um, I'm not really sure where the class would be. But it's as healthy as it's ever been, and uh, and I'm excited to keep on trucking along, man. The rest of 22 is going to be good, and I hope that when we roll into Dallas, there's still a battle for the championship. My name is still in the hat. I think there will be, man. You're only two rounds out of second place right now, so get after yeah. it. Congratulations on the uh, on the upcoming Bay Bay, and I will catch up with you at Norwalk, man, if not before. All right, man. And one more plug. Um, we've got a – financially speaking, um, I've had some unfortunate uh, sponsorship loss throughout the course of the year. So if anybody of you – any of you that are listening are interested, um, you can go through Brian or somebody at the NHRA. Find me on social media. Um, we're looking for some partners throughout the rest of the year, and uh, and we'd be happy to fly your flag. I think we got a good car going into the end of the season, and we're on the hunt for the ship. That's good, man. And yeah, I'll, I'll back him up on that. This is a, this is a dude. If you want to get involved with somebody who's uh, who's got a high profile and certainly who's got a, a proven track record, ability to win, and a giant fan base, Lyle's your dude. All right, man. I'll, yes, I'm going to put a sign in my front yard. We're going to get this. We're going to get this done. We'll find you some spots. Let's go. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Thanks, Brian. Lyle Barnett, obviously, and, and always a very entertaining guy to talk to here in the NHRA Insider Podcast. It's going to bring us straight into our second guest, a guy who is driving a top fuel dragster that has really started to bear some teeth over the last couple of races. His name is Austin Prock. Austin, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you, Brian? Good. So I wanted to talk to you. It's It's been interesting to watch this car over the last, uh, you know, Charlotte and Virginia, specifically in Virginia. You guys uh, really seem to have got a footing now and seem to be kind of building towards something uh, towards something bigger throughout the course of the year. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun to be a part of. You know, we got a great group of people over there uh, with Joe and Ron leading the charge. The uh, Silver Stallions, I think that's going to stick. <laughs> I like that here for a while. And uh, you know, the guys are really doing a great job. Uh, you know, you walk into the pit and you see uh, all these crew guys. They're working together and they look like a well-oiled machine. They look like they're ready to win. And uh, you know, when all three of these things come together, I think we're going to be uh, hoisting a wally. And that's been an interesting thing to see. I mean, it's when we when we look around at at people that have either come back in or people that have put new teams together. It is a building process, and you know, for a guy like you, you're young, and and listen, we're all uh, we're all impatient for success at the age you are right now. But but how is it to manage that? Like, you want to win every race you ever been to. I I get all that, but how much do you have to temper yourself and understand that there is progress being made, and you're seeing that progress made. You know, it's, it can be tough at times, but I've been around this sport um, a really long time, you know, my, my whole entire life. And I've seen how you have to walk before you run, you know, and, and we kind of we kind of messed ourselves up, honestly, a little bit going to the final round in Pomona because, you know, you got a new team, brand new bunch of yeah, Austin, that sounds great. And, and you know, with all that being said, you come out of the gate swinging and, and it and it's not like you're off to a slow start. I mean, this is a your number five in the points right now. And, and we talk about a top fuel class that really has been showing itself to be more competitive than it has been in years. So, you know, it, it that's another thing I think that sometimes we fall into a trap on the media side where it's like, oh, this team's struggling. And you look down, it's like, well, no, they're really not. This is a top five car. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. Everyone out there is a hitter hitter right now. You know, there's a lot of good cars, and and that makes it tough for these tougher for these new teams. You know, we're you know I feel like uh, last weekend we lost in the semis because we have a 43 count run log, and we're racing against a guy who has a 443 run log you know what i'm saying good point so you get into those tricky situations like that where the track's really temperamental and you know the sun's coming in and out and and all those other things you know we're on we're first pair you know uh one thing that i never realized is you know ron tobler he's used to tuning a funny car well the the track's substantially different when you race a dragster you know they'll do track prep and and you fire off right on a on a dead track essentially you know you have no tire tracks in front of you and I think all those little things add up and we're learning as we go. And, uh, you know, that might've been a little bit of the reason we got bit there in the semis, but you know, that's uh, part of growing like we were talking about. Yeah. And you know, this was a weekend to me as well that like nothing because of the weather, like nothing was on time. No qualifying sessions was when we figured we were going to have it. When we did have qualifying sessions, they seemed to take forever. So when you get into the staging lanes, whatever the tune up in the car was for what you thought you were going to be running on, it's probably different. And I realize that's a headache for the, uh, for the crew chiefs and everything. But I also imagine driver wise, you know, you do this long enough, you kind of fall into a cadence. You understand where and when, what times things are going to happen. And it just is, it's weird for all of us when you can't really get a rhythm at one of these events. It's got to be especially true for a driver. Yeah, absolutely. I think it makes it harder on everybody. You know, the crew members, you know, you get out of routine. You know, this is, uh, you know, from driving it to tuning it to working on it, it's very much uh, routine-based. You know, if you get out of routine, that's when you make mistakes. So uh, the weather definitely does play for me as a driver. You know, you get all amped up and you want to go up there and, you know, chop the tree down and, you know, you get in that mindset and then they go, hey, uh, we're going to wait two hours. And, you know, you kind of come down from that high and you got to rally yourself back up. So uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, tough mentally. I think I was watching the broadcast and uh, Tony Schumacher said the same thing. You know, yes. you, you get up there and you're all amped up and then you, you sit and you wait, you know or you know the 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 first round was at noon you know and it, yeah. it definitely does weigh on you it's an interesting thing and and one of the other things i think is interesting when we talk about you know your situation of being a part of john forrest racing there was a potential to have all four john forrest racing cars in the final rounds last weekend obviously Brittany and john Brittany and robert rather pulled off victories in their uh, in their respective categories but it's never in history happened that one team has been able to put four cars into into the final round of two different categories and it seems to be the way everybody's running. That's actually a possibility to happen this year, which would be really incredible. Yeah. Uh, Richmond was a great showing for John force racing. You know, uh, I feel like, you know, especially on Sunday, uh, we ran the table, you know, on, on both classes, you know, me and Brittany's car, we, we ran really competitive through qualifying on, and on race day. And, uh, you know, uh, you leave it to Jimmy Proc to, uh, you know, sandbag and qualifying and go out there and rip their throats out on Sunday, you know, like classic Jimmy move. But, uh, you know, I, I honestly thought we were going to have an all force final, um, the way everything was running, but you know, me and John, we screwed it up, but, uh, I think we'll definitely have an opportunity to do that again this year. And, and, understanding that all four teams are under the same umbrella but obviously you you operate as your own entities what does it mean to have a, a team double up for a guy like you i mean other than helping morale i mean does it does it have any other side benefits or other than just the reinforcement of we're a good operation we're a healthy operation i mean how does it translate to you it pays better <laughs> <laughs> no it's awesome you know we're we're uh you know john force racing's motto is we're one team you know uh 
you know, across the board, you know, the machine shop, the fab shop, all that. Uh, and when you see your, your teammate win, you know, it, it makes you feel good. You know, it, it's uh, more knowledge, you know, going into the, into the John Force Racing brain trust. And, uh, you know, you always want to see your teammates win it. You know, we all have the same sponsors. So uh, when we win, we all win. Yeah, no, it's in, and clearly that mantra has been, been paying off with the way everybody's working and certainly the success that the, uh, that the cars have been having over the course of the beginning of the season. You know, we're coming up on an interesting stretch with three really very different racetracks. The next place we're going is Epping, New Hampshire in a couple weeks. Then we go to Bristol and Norwalk, which leads us to the Western Swing. But when you look at those three June races, mentally for you, or just in your own opinion, how important is it for you to maybe come out of Norwalk? not necessarily with a win, but come out of Norwalk and head into the Western swing with a car that you know can win. Um, I think that's really important. And I think we're going to be right there. I think we ha- right now we have a car that can win. You know, I think we were capable last week, a weekend of winning, you know, um, we, we had all the parts and pieces and, and the ET slips to show it. So, uh, I going into Epping, I think we're going to be able to contend for a win and one thing that I like, uh, what we're building right now is we're building a, uh, setup that's going to go down these hot racetracks, these hot, low grip racetracks. And that's what we're rolling into. And, uh, that's kind of Ron Tobler's forte, you know, looking back in his funny car career, you know, he, he could always get down those really tricky tracks and it, it showed this weekend and, uh, you throw Joe Barlam in there on top of it. Uh, you get those numbers like a 372 on a 125 degree racetrack. You know, when we mentioned the Norwalk race that is coming up at the end of June, um, you talk about a difference in your life over the course of a year and you know obviously that norwalk race last year was was a highlight for you to a degree you pinch hit for clay milliken and had a very good day in his race car and certainly i think reignited a, a portion of you that really wanted not that you didn't already but certainly maybe double down on wanting to get back in a race car and how much uh, a moment of appreciation might you take when we pull into the gate at norwalk and you look around and think about where you were a year ago to where you are now you know, I, I think about that every day, you know, uh, it's, it's crazy what a year can change. Um, but it's definitely going to be cool going into Norwalk, you know, that race last year, it really livened me back up. It kind of put that pep back in my step. Cause, uh, you know, I wasn't really doing so hot mentally, you know, you, you get take, uh, what you love taken away and it wears on you. So that was a huge pick me up. I, I thank the Milliken family and Stringer, uh, family for, you know, offering to, uh, let me drive that thing. But, Hopefully we can roll into Norwalk with my own race car this year and uh, get get ourselves a W. Rocky Mountain Twist and and the Montana brands are, are Frank Teague's companies, and obviously so is in Flavor Pack. And I thought it was really cool how at the end of the race, you know, the first guy that Grubnik wanted to thank out of the race when when we went to him on the starting line was was Mr. Teague's, and of, of course uh, Brittany the same way. And you know, this guy's so passionate to be involved in the sport that he is, and and it was great uh, I think for them to recognize him immediately after the win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Frank Teeks, he's a, he's an awesome guy and he has a great family and a, a big heart, you know, and we're uh, very appreciative of what he does for us at John Force Racing. You know, we honestly couldn't do it without him. So, uh, you know, he's, he's helping me live my dream and, uh, you know, I feel like we're helping him live his, you know, he, he has two, uh, badass top field dragsters out there and, uh, you know, he's really excited with, uh, you know, our program growing with Montana brand and Rocky Mountain Twist. He, he sees the, uh, you know, uh, us gaining performance, and uh, he's ready to see one of those wins with Brittany. 
What are the uh, one of the hallmarks, obviously, of your of your ability is the starting line very strong. You you hold yourself to a high standard. You want to be basically forties or better, I think, pretty much every time you try to hit the tree. Yeah. One of the things that was kind of wild about Virginia is that we did not have a single hole shot win until the final round of Pro Stock Motorcycle, and I'm I want to ask you as as somebody who who is a specialist in this area of the racetrack. Is that something that not not necessarily scares you, but is that an indicator of how good everybody's starting to get on the starting line, or is that, do you think, kind of a one-off anomaly? Because when you have that, it was a couple, three, four seasons ago, if you were able to do what you did regularly, there was only maybe two guys else that could do it. And I'm not saying everybody yeah. can be 40s or low 50s, but there are more people that can do it now than could do it a few years ago. I, I definitely think the competition is much tougher on the starting line uh, this year, especially in my category. Uh, everybody's really kind of stepped their game up, you know, so that's why I'm, you know, pushing myself so hard to be so consistent, so low, you know what I'm saying? Um, because there, there's a lot of drivers that can go rip off a 40 or 50 light, but uh, I don't think you saw any hole shots last weekend just because uh, how tricky the racetrack was, you okay. know, the success rate was very low. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of pedal fest and, and, you know, either a car running a, you know, a, a high 70 and, and the other car blowing the tires off. So um, I think that probably has, more to do with it than you know the level of competition on the starting line it does make sense i mean if if, if you're forced to uh if you're forced to be on off the throttle at any degree it's it's going to take that whole shot element kind of out of the picture so yeah that makes sense yeah. it'll be interesting to see when we yeah. get on a, yeah. a more normalized surface if you will uh what what that turns into yeah the odds were probably higher for a uh pedal fest whole shot win <laughs> which that would be pretty cool yeah that's like the double down that's absolutely yeah, the double yeah. down yeah, I mean, you, yeah, you, you'd be like King Cut after that. <laughs> so one last thing I want to ask you about before I let you go is, you know, we talk about this fact, kind of looking long down the road, which, you know, I think a championship-level team like yours, you have to think strategically down, kind of looking down the road. From the number five position in points, and you want to be higher than that, obviously you want to be leading the points mm-hmm. like everybody else does. But when we get to a countdown scenario and we look at the depth of competition in top fuel, do you think it's possible to win a championship from anywhere deeper than that fifth spot? Because to me, when I look at consistency and performance across the board, it does not look to me like there's going to be anybody that's going to fall off the table very early in this thing. Yeah, I, you know, it's hard to say. Um, you know, I've seen my dad do it from 10th before. You know, yeah. when, when you're hot, when you're hot, you're hot. You know, there, there's no getting around it. So um, I definitely think it's obviously it's your odds are going to be higher the further up you are. But you know, if you get on a heater at the right time and you're you're driving good, I think anything's possible with this countdown deal, and that's what makes it exciting for the fans. Oh, it really does. Yeah, it adds. It does add a, a, an awesome element to it, and it's something that uh, you know I think the U.S. Nationals are going to be an incredible cap to our, our regular season, so to speak. Before we move into those playoffs, there's already there's there's talk that there could be 24 uh, upwards of 24 top field dragsters at the U.S. Nationals, which would be amazing. Yeah, that would be unbelievable. That that's uh, starting to look like the old days, and and that's what we need. You know, this sport this sport needs all the all the cars out here we can get. You know, it uh, put on a better and longer show for the fans, and uh, you know, uh, I can't wait to get to the U.S. Nationals. Austin Brock, thanks so much for taking some time today, kind of looking at uh, recent pat recent history, and looking forward to uh, to what's behold to the rest of the season. So it's going to be fun to watch your team continue to grow and uh, and progress and. We'll uh, take a couple of weeks off and head up to the uh, beautiful state of New Hampshire. Sweet. Thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting excited already uh, talking, just talking about racing. So can't wait to get to Epping and uh, see how our cards fall. Driver of the Rocky Mountain Twist, Montana brand stop fueler, Austin Proc. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
Always great to catch up with racers like Austin Prock and like Lyle Barnett, two guys that are kind of on the rise over the course of this 2022 season. will be interesting to see how it all plays out for them over the course of the year where there is still a load of pro mod racing to do and, of course, tons and tons of our Camping World Series to compete at as well. We're off for a couple of weeks before we go to my home track of New England Dragway in Epping, New Hampshire. If you have not gone to NHRA.com to get your tickets, I would recommend you do that. The pre-sale for the event is really flying along very good. Anybody who's ever been in New England Dragway knows it is uh, it is a great old-school-style racetrack, and you do not want to get left without a seat. It is going to be fantastic. It'll be the first time in a few years that we've been able to have our Canadian friends come down and visit with us over the course of the 2020 season. Of course, we didn't race at Epping. When we came back last year, the borders were still pretty much closed, and there are loads and loads of great Canadian fans and racers that will be down to compete and watch at the NHRA New England Nationals. Until then, we'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA NHRA Insider Podcast, following any and all breaking news in the sport, bringing you the inside stories, and certainly conversations with some of the most fascinating people around the world of NHRA drag racing. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for listening.